just want to welcome you. If, you're, if you weren't here last week, we're in this teaching series that we just started that we'll be in for nine weeks total. We were, this is the second week uh, that we're, we're in this series. And uh, the title of the series, it's, it's based on the story that Jesus told that's one of the most familiar stories to people. Anybody, I mean, there's, believe it or not, there's still people in the world that have never heard anything from Jesus. They don't know the name of Jesus. They've never heard a teaching of Jesus. We need to be, our hearts need to be uh, touched by that. We need to respond to that. But all, all the people who have heard the words of Jesus, this is a very common uh, story. It's, it's called the story of the prodigal son. Uh, because we recognize that the emphasis is on the son, but even more so on the father, uh, the way that we've titled this series is the, the parable of the prodigal father. And so we focus on the father. We're going to talk a little bit about why we call him the prodigal father. And then the byline of this series is, is a story of God's scandalous love. And so the, 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 the topic that we're looking at today is addressing the scandal. We're going to look at you know, what we're talking about when we talk about God's love being a scandalous love. And so welcome to all of you. Um, if you if you didn't get one of these last week, there are some scattered around in some different chairs, so you can go ahead and grab one. I would also invite you uh, to take one with you and invite people. I, I, I'm so impressed how much people who don't know how much God loves them need to know that. And this is an amazing opportunity for you to bring uh, a friend, a family member, a stranger, what have you, to really come and connect with the love of Father God for them individually. And so we want to encourage you to do that. We also have uh, these uh, a, a sheet of paper that you can take from uh, the chair in front of you. And it has on, the, on, on one side, it has a place for you to write any notes that you want to write. On the other side, there's an activity that we're going to do together at the end of our, uh, of, of, of our talk here together. But at this time, I want to give opportunity uh, for Sabrina. She's already been highlighted as the family group uh, leader, ministry leader. And uh, we're going to invite her to come, and she's going to read our passage of Scripture. It will be up on the screen, but if you want to read along in your Bible as well, it's Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. Say again. Can I just say what you just asked me? Because that was kind of a private question. Can I make it public? Sure. She said, is it, okay? is it okay that I'm not wearing shoes to read this? And Moses would say, it's absolutely okay. Yeah, because God told him, take your shoes off the place where you're standing is holy ground. So you're on holy ground, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, we welcome Sabrina's mom and stepdad here, really, really wonderful people, and uh, they're here to, uh, to be with her and to find out whatever's going on in her life uh, at the moment. And if you get to know her, you'll know what I'm referring to in that, okay? <laughs> Sabrina, you ready to read the scripture? All right. Okay. Um, yeah. So family groups uh, are ongoing, and I just invite all of you to get plugged in with those if you haven't had a chance, and I would love to help you with that. So my name is Sabrina, and I'm at your service. Um, okay. So 15, um, verse 11, Jesus told them yet another story. 
Once a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the property. So the father divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything he owned and left for a foreign country where he wasted all his money in wild living. He had spent everything. When a bad famine spread through the whole land, soon he had nothing to eat. He went to work for a man in that country, and the man sent him out to take care of his pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him a thing. Finally, he came to his senses and said, My father's workers have plenty to eat, and here I am, starving to death. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. The younger son got up and started back to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for him. He ran to his son and hugged and kissed him. said, Father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, hurry and bring the best clothes and put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the best calf and prepare it so we can eat and celebrate. The son of mine was dead but has now come back to life. He was lost and has now been found. And they began to celebrate. The older son had been out in the field, but when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the, the servants over and asked, what's going on here? The servant answered, your brother has come home safe and sound, and your father ordered us to kill the best calf. The older brother got so angry that he would not even go into the house. His father came out and begged him to go in. But he said to his father, For years I have worked for you like a slave and have always obeyed you, but you have never even given me a little goat so that I could give a dinner for my friends. This other son of yours wasted his money, your money, on prostitutes, and now that he has come home, you ordered the best calf to be killed for a feast. His father replied, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we should be glad and celebrate. Your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost and has now been found. Thank you, Sabrina. So I don't have to uh, work. Are we here on this one now? Yeah. Is the level up? You want me to use this? Well, that didn't last long. So I don't have to work too hard. Is the screen showing you these scriptures behind me? It would be a lot of work for me to turn around, wouldn't it? (laughs) The parable of the prodigal father. The story of God's scandalous love. I'm going to start with that word prodigal. Normally, this story that Jesus told us, as I mentioned, called the parable of the prodigal son. But the big idea of Jesus' story is not the younger son who left or the older son who remained. They are important characters in this story. And we need to understand 
who they are and what they represent to us, for us. But really the star of the show, so to speak, the lead character in this story is the father. And the way that the father responds to the son who was distant geographically from him by choice, who had rebelled and and said, I don't want a relationship with my father, and the son who stayed home but was also distant in his heart from his father. And we learn that from the story that he didn't really have this intimate relationship with father. It was more of a quid pro quo. It was more of, I will be here as long as you pay me to be here. And so we find that the older son wanted the money now. The younger son still similarly wanted the money, but he was willing to work for it. But neither one of them were in this beautiful relationship that they could have and should have been in with their father. And as a result, we see how the father responds to those who are distant from him. And we find that it is with such love. And so when we look at the word prodigal, it has to do with spending and overspending. We talked about how the word prodigal means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything, rashfully or wastefully extravagant, giving or given in abundance, lavish or profuse, one who is given to wasteful luxury or extravagance, a person who spends lavishly or squanders money. And we know how the word prodigal is used when it comes to do re mi, when it comes to the dollar or the yen or whatever he would call it, the peso. When it comes to currency, we know what the word prodigal means. But when we apply the principle of the word prodigal to not just something that is tangible, but something that is deeper, that is about relationship with God, relationship with people, we find that it is an apt description of the father who spent luxuriously love upon his sons, forgiveness upon his sons, compassion upon his sons. Thus, we are referring to the parable as the parable of the prodigal father. Um, and, and it makes sense for us to do that. And we'll, we're going to take a little more time in case you want to get a little more into who the younger son represents and who the older son represents. We'll take in two Sundays, we're going to focus on them almost entirely. But I want it today, as it shows in the next slide, if it's up there, does it say addressing the scandal? All right. Addressing the scandal is what we're looking at. Because oftentimes when you think of the love of God, if you know it at all, it's probably not normal or you know, a typical experience for you to think of the love of God being scandalous. You might think about it being warm. You might think about it being healing. You might think about it being comforting, uplifting. The love of God is all of these things. So why would we refer to the love of God in any way as being scandalous? Because oftentimes the word scandalous comes with a very negative connotation, as it should be. Where do you live? Washington, D.C., right? Where do you work? We know how the word scandal is used in this city. Whenever we hear the word scandal, we think, "Uh uh-oh, there they go again. If you're a Republican, you go, there go the Democrats again. If you're a Democrat, you go, there they go the Republicans. And if you're a Libertarian, you say, there they all go. And, uh, And so we have all of this expression about scandal. So why would we use such a negative term to talk about the love of God? And I just want to get into that by looking at the at the definition of the word scandalous, but I just want to say this first, and this might be a little brash to start with this statement, but I just want to say this, if you've never thought of the love of God being scandalous, I just, 
I just want to propose that maybe you really haven't gotten fully in touch with the love of God even just for you, let alone for your not-so-well-liked brother or sister. You see, oftentimes we, we see this scandalous that God loves our enemy, but we don't always see this scandalous that God loves us. And I want to say this, that I want us to look at the response of this father, his loving response to one son and then the other, and how that response of the father was perceived by the people of that time and place. In other words, I want to look at this story in its cultural context, just like we understand each other by the histories we share or the histories we don't share that we explain to one another by our, all of our different cultures. When we start to share that, we get to know each other more. I believe that we'll get to know the story more when we look at it in its cultural context. All right? And I, I believe that we have a window into how this father's love was perceived, was understood by the hearers, the first hearers of the story. Um, and in that culture, when we see, or at least, uh, I will say this, when we hear the words of the older son in reaction to his father, because not only did the older son live in that time and place, but in very strong degree, he represented the people to whom this story was told. So I want to read again uh, these words in Luke chapter 15, verse number 28 and verse number 30. And this time I'll, I'll go ahead and turn around. All right. The other son, there we go. This other son of yours wasted your money on prostitutes. And now that he has come home, you ordered the best calf to be killed for a feast. His father replied, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we should be glad and celebrate. Your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost and has now been found. The love that the father had for his son, his wayward son, was not at all considered scandalous by him. Um, it was proper love from the father's perspective, but we can see how from the, son, the older son's perspective, it was scandalous. How could you accept this young man? What he's done to you. I love even, I, I don't even, I don't love it, like it. But I, but I love it in, as far as it's interesting to me, how he says, this son of yours, it's his brother. He's not saying my brother. And so he's just kind of saying, is this, your, this is your son, this son of yours. And even in rejecting his brother and saying that, he's rejecting his father and saying that. He's saying, this son of yours. I'm not, I, it's like he's saying, I have no part with you in the way that you behave toward him. And I certainly don't have any part with this brother of mine in the way that he's behaved toward you. You see, to the older son, the way that Jesus responded to this younger brother was nothing less than then scandalous, as it was, I believe, to a majority of the people in that time and place in that culture. So what, why, what would be considered by anybody? I, 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 I'm asking this for some of you who say, I can't think of the love of God as scandalous. I can think of it as everything positive, but that sounds so negative. So what would be considered scandalous about God's love to the people of that culture? Why did this brother have such a problem with his father's love? Let me read you some definitions stuff for scandalous. We did prodigal. I think it'll be helpful for us to look at some definitions of the word scandalous. Here's one. Causing scandal. Okay? Thought you couldn't use the same word in a definition. But anyway. Um, causing scandal. Shocking. 
containing material damaging to reputation, defamatory, disgraceful, improper, or immoral, defamatory, libelous, causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. And when I look at the way the father responded, not only to his younger son, but as we'll see in a moment, even to his older son, it was shocking. It was damaging to his reputation. There was public outrage. How could you respond to this boy, the way that he has treated you with such disregard and you showing such regard for him, the way that he has given up um, everything, his relationship with you and all, all of the things that you've given, he's demanded it um, for you. In essence, he's saying, I'm not, it's, it's, you're taking too long to die. I want my inheritance now. And then the way that he responds to him is scandalous. And so what, what, what was, I just want to look at some particulars of this though, about the exact specific responses of the father to his son. What was scandalous about them? You know, Henry Nowen, um, I referenced this last week, and I want to make sure that I read it. I got one little detail wrong last week, and so I thought, I'm not going to just kind of wing it this time. I'm going to make sure I read it and get it exactly right. Um, Henry Nowen um, told uh, this story about uh, a guy named Kenneth Bailey um, who travels all over the world, and this is what Kenneth Bailey says about this story. He said, for over 15 years, I have been asking people of all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. The answer has always been emphatically the same. The conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why? The request means he wants his father to die. Are you beginning to get in touch with the scandal of the father's return? We also shared last week what some have referred to as the Buddhist parable of the prodigal son. And we told the story about a son who left home and eventually wound up back at home, but not in relationship with his father, just in a simple working relationship, no, uh, just a, a transactional thing, business. And in fact, neither one of them acknowledged the other. And, and we talked about that story and how the, at the end of the story, he finally got his inheritance. And, and, and the moral of that Buddhist story is, is that through hard work, you will be purged into your eternal reward. How different that story is from the, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal father that Jesus told, how different it is. And yet when we look at the Buddhist story, we think, you know, that, that father was actually more prudent. That father was actually more practical. That father was much more appropriate in his response, not just in the culture that that story is told, but all of our respective cultures. We would all say, you know, shouldn't you at least when a son who has done such damage to his father's reputation, has rejected a, a relationship with his father, shouldn't he at least be given a lecture? 
shouldn't he at least be given an I told you so? Or let's work on this. You've got to, you've got to make up for this. None of those things happen according to the story of Jesus. It was only open arms and, 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 and uh, a welcome that was, that was effusive. And it's, it was a gala. It was a celebration. New robe, new sandals, uh, a, a feast, all of these things. A ring for his finger, hugs and kisses. All of those things are the responses of the Father. And we look at that and say, you know, this is not just human And that's a point I'd like to make along the way here. Because there's a lot of stories that humans have told. In the category of philosophy, in the category of of economics, in in the category of of religion. But I've I've read across the board, I've read not everything that's out there to read. But I haven't just read what is Christian. I've intentionally, since I I think probably age 15, have studied. Studied other uh, writings, and I just I just know this for certainty from what from all that I've read. I'm, I'm very certain of this in myself. I, I really believe that no one would ever make up a, a a father like this to represent God like Jesus did. We know that this father in the story, a human father, um, is, is, is like no other father who's ever lived. I had a good father. Maybe you had a real loving father. The reality is, is that none of them have ever been what this father is that Jesus described. And that, we know that this is not just a human father, but a human father representing divine love. And this divine love is like something that nobody could even make. If you look at all religions, it's people's attempt to make themselves ready for God, to make themselves acceptable to God. And here comes a God who says, it's not about you being acceptable to me. It's just about my love for you. And it's an amazing thing. It's like that story that David Platt told about one of his trips to the, to, to the Orient. And he was sitting there with a, with a, rat, or with a, uh, uh, a Buddhist priest and a Muslim imam and himself being a Christian pastor. And they started a conversation saying, you know, we're all the same. We're, we're, we're just on opposite sides of the mountain, perhaps, but we're all moving up trying to get to the same God. And David Platt, knowing the good news of Jesus, said, I want to ask you a question. What if God was not waiting for us to get up to the top of the mountain, but God left the top of the mountain to come down to us? And they said, that would be great. And he said, then let me introduce you to Jesus. It's an amazing thing, this beautiful good news that we have, that God doesn't wait for us and God doesn't abandon us when he sees us in our filth and our grime. I want you to see what was scandalous about what happened. First of all, this father was looking for him. He was looking for him. Most of his neighbors would say, give up on him now. He's not coming back. He already rejected you. Why do you stand on the road? I know he was looking for him because it says when his son was afar off, the father saw him. I don't think that was by accident. I don't think he was just somehow walking by the path. I think that father, when we see his love, I think that he was waiting for him. He was looking for him. He was hoping for him to come. And in that way, just alone, people around him probably thought that was scandalous. Why would you wait for this boy? But then what happened after that? It says that after he saw him, he had compassion for him. He didn't think, you know, he got what he deserved. No, his heart was not 
didactic. His heart was not judgmental. His heart was just filled with love. He had nothing to teach. Uh, and he taught by example, by the way. Sometimes your example is way more powerful than your words. And the reality is, is that he taught by example, but he didn't teach in a, such a way to say, I told you so, or any of those things, or you got to learn this. Now hopefully you've learned your lesson. None of those things. It says he had compassion on him. And then it says he ran to him. And I don't think there's anything more potent, any sentence in all of this story that's any more powerful than that sentence right there alone. The father ran to him. You know, he wasn't in jogging clothes. He didn't have Nikes on or something like that because they hadn't been invented yet. He had sandals and a robe on. And a disgraceful thing for a man Woman also in that culture, but a disgraceful thing for a man, let alone a patriarch, let alone the man, the, the big man, the big cheese, the, big, the guy in charge, right? To run, he literally had to lift up his robe. And he had to uncover his ankles, his legs, and he had to run. He could have risked tripping on the way. I, I think it's hard to run in shorts, let alone run with a robe on and yet he, he ran. I, maybe he was in as bad a shape as I'm in right now. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know where he was physically, you know. I don't know if he was regularly exercising, but I know that he didn't think the least bit about what it would cost his old knees or what it would cost his reputation. He just ran. He said, that's my son. He's alive. He's found. I'm going to run to him. And probably anybody that might have been watching that, they were like, how could you do this? How could you run to him? And then when you run to him, you throw yourself on him. It says he ran to him and he he hugged him, and the, and the whole expression in the words that he hugged him, that he, that he kissed him, in the Greek it's just an, a repeating, he hugged him and kissed him, and it's an embrace that don't, won't let go, and it's kisses one after the other, and I want you to think about this scene, this son has been filthy and dirty, he's been feeding pigs, he's been starving, he's come back from a long journey, he, he's, he's a dirty son. In every way, inside and out, he's dirty. He's ready to repent now. He's come to his senses. All of those things are beautiful. But there's nothing else that's beautiful about him. And yet the son didn't worry about a dirty face. He just kept kissing that face, kissing that face, holding that smelly son. And it didn't matter to him what he smelled like. It didn't matter to him what he felt like, the, the grime on his face. It didn't matter to him whatsoever that he hadn't shaved and all that stuff. It didn't matter to him. He just kept kissing him and kissing him, hugging him and hugging him. Why? Because he was his son. No other reason. It was just his son. And he's no longer lost. And he's no longer dead. He's alive. And he can't help himself. And that's the way God is for you. God can't help himself. He runs to you. He'll kiss you. He'll embrace you. It doesn't matter what you're involved in. It doesn't matter even in the moment that you're involved in the deepest, darkest sin. If there's any opportunity for God to wrap his arms around you, you say, how could God love me in my sin? That's the message of the good news. No one else has it. Only Jesus has it. It says we know the love that God has for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He ran to the cross. 
He ran to satisfy our sins that separate us from God. He ran from heaven to earth. He ran from earth to the cross. And he ran from the cross to the Father waiting to bring us all home. That's his intent. He wants us to be with him in this life and the next life for all eternity. All of his purpose was not just to get us out of hell. And that's a horrible thing to be separated from the love of God for all eternity. That's a horrible experience to have. But that's not what God is. God's not about saving you from hell. That's just a byproduct. God is about saving you for himself. He's about you being with him and him smiling upon you. I love the expression that we heard at a prophetic conference. I think it was two years ago. They said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. And if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Some of you never think of yourself that way. You never think that God could possibly love you like that. You're so bound up with your own performance or lack of performance. You're so bound up by all the cultural norms and the, and the political stuff and the religious stuff. And here you have a God who's saying, I'm going to move beyond the political, move beyond the bureaucratic, move beyond the economic, move beyond all the status stuff that the world puts upon us to tell us whether we're worthy or unworthy, move beyond human appearance, even move beyond human sin, human rebellion against God, all of those things. He wants to run right through those. Why? Because he can't live without you. He doesn't want to live without you. He wants you to be with him. That's the kind of love that we have. And the world might, you know, I, I heard these, I mentioned this last week, the neo-atheists, the big three, uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and Christopher Hitchens, who's now stood before God because he passed away, I think, a couple years ago. They get so upset, not just in believing in the existence of God, but when Christians talk about how God came and suffered on a cross for us, they mock it. They say, I didn't ask him to suffer on a cross for me. I don't want him to suffer on a cross for me. They get upset by that kind. It's a scandal to the human mind. We want to put God in a box and control God. We want to somehow manipulate him into accepting us or say it doesn't matter if he accepts us. We, we're more comfortable in our atheism or agnosticism. We're more comfortable in being religious Christians who stay at a distance from an intimate relationship with God. He's not settling for that. He's running to us. He's using life circumstances. He's even using this this poor preacher here today to proclaim his word not in his own strength but in the strength of the Holy Spirit of God if you're hearing God say he loves you it's not because it's my voice and my raspy New Jersey accent and all that stuff it's because the Holy Spirit of God is penetrating your heart saying I love you I sent uh, I, Jesus came to run after you I'm still running after you and I want to be in relationship with you it might be scandalous to this world. I want to kind of bring it down a little bit because I just, I'm kind of, whoo, you know, in this thing. But I want to just do this. You know, permitting the sun, this is, everyone, every point is scandalous. Permitting the sun to make such a demand of him. Who do you think you are, son? To make such a demand. He, he didn't say, may I please? He didn't even use magic words, please and thank you. He said, give me my share of the inheritance. Give it to me. He could have said, boy, say what? Who do you think you are? He said, if you ask for it, I'm going to give it to you because it's yours anyway because I love you. Even if it's premature, even if it's not the right way, 
It's yours anyway. If you demand it, I'm just going to give it to you. Jesus said the sun rises on the just and the unjust. Sometimes you wonder how could God be so good to people that don't even care about them at all when I'm trying to care about them and I feel like I'm not as rich as they are, as smart as they uh, are. God loves us all. He loves us all. All of us. Get over it. It might be scandalous to you that he loves others, but it might be scandalous to you that he loves you. But he, listen to this. He allowed the son to reject him. He allowed the son to reject him. After all he had done, he could have said, no way are you going to reject me, pal. I tell you what, I, I can still, you and I out back, let's go. He didn't say that. And by the way, in the rejection, it had to be public. Because in that culture, if you're going to divide the inheritance, you have to sell land. And you can't sell land without going to court. They literally had to go before the elders of that town and literally that young man had to take his innocent father, a father who wasn't an abusive father, wasn't an absent father, wasn't a father that mistreated him verbally, sexually, in any way. Nothing did he do to, to deserve this kind of treatment. And yet the son said, Dad, I'm taking you to court. Sorry, nothing personal. Just want your money. And I want it now. And I don't care, I care less about being in relationship with you than getting what I want and the pleasures of this life. And so he allowed the son to reject him, not only personally, but publicly. How scandalous. But then he tolerated the son to take him to the court and he pleaded no contest. He said, I'm not going to fight this. Just let him have it. And then he let the son leave. And it's an amazing thing that he let the son leave. I, I, I've been reading this book called um, The Return of the Prodigal Son by this priest called Henry Nowen. And if you've read any Nowen stuff, it's phenomenal stuff. And here's a, a quote from his book. He said, an aspect of the scandal is that he let his son leave and let him have his inheritance now. He said, freedom to choose, to reject, to accept tr is true love. When you allow somebody not only to accept your love, but to reject your love. When you allow somebody to not only uh, respond to having a relationship with you, but to reject having a relationship with you, and you continue to still love them, that is true love. Anything else is a quid pro quo. Anything else is you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We're doing this for an agreement for your selfish purpose and for my selfish purpose. But there was absolutely no selfishness in the love of the Father. No conditions whatsoever. It was by nature that the Father loved the Son by His nature and by the Son's nature and there was nothing else about it. And so here you have this beautiful thing where you think, you know, uh, let, me, let me read this other one from Henry Nowen. He says, as, as father, he wants his children to be free, free to love. That freedom includes the possibility of their leaving home, going to a distant country, and losing everything. The father's heart knows all the pain that will come from that choice. Not just pain to the son, but pain to the father. He knows that, but his love makes him powerless to prevent it. I love that even though it was scandalous for the son to reject the father, the father said, you know what? If you're going to reject me, I'm going to let you leave. And then when his son returned, there was no retaliation. To a son who had wished him dead, no retaliation. Oh, contrary. He ran to him. He held him. He kissed him. He restored him to sonship. There was absolute forgiveness and complete restoration. He wasn't hearing this prepared speech from the son that I'll come and be a servant in the household. No, no matter what you've done, you're still my son. And that's what God says to you. No matter what you've done, you're still 
my delight, created in my own image, the apple of my eye, the one through, for whom I will seek and find. Notice that before the story of the prodigal son, there was a story of the lost coin and the story of the lost sheep. And what happened when the sheep was found? What happened when the coin was found? The same thing that happened when the son was found. Partay. It was rejoicing. It was celebration. It was joy for the father. It should have been joy for the brother, but his heart was in the wrong place. But it was joy for the father, joy for the son. It was like unspeakable. How could the front son have ever expected such scandalous love? Love that didn't mind reputation. Love that didn't mind rejection. All of those things. And yet he's restored. And what does he do? He gives him his inheritance. It's an amazing thing. And somebody would say, you know what? That's just not fair. But guess what? The love of God is fair, but it's not about fairness. It's about relationship. The love of God will treat you fairly, but the love of God will treat you way beyond fair. It will treat you to what you will receive even though you do not deserve it. Ephesians chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith. And this, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Can you say amen? amen? Hey, can we get rowdy here? Can we just give God some praise? Just get rowdy just for a moment. Come on. We're going to watch. Um, hey, by the way, I'll get into the older son later. By the way, I, I'm, I'm just going to say a quick thing because I'm going to get into this later. Even the way he treated the older son was scandalous. The older son refused to go in. He didn't send a servant to say, you better, you, you go tell that son, he better get in here right now or I'm cutting him off. Instead, he himself went out to his older son. And the, and the Bible, Jesus tells us that that father begged his son. Begged his son. You know, sometimes if you're going to be in relationship and you're going to, have, you're going to demonstrate to people that you love them, you have to be willing to receive the hurts that being in relationship with them is inevitably going to bring you. The Bible itself says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you haven't been hurt by somebody you know, you don't know that person that well. The more you get to know somebody, the more you become vulnerable to hurt, and hurt will come. But you can curse the darkness and say, oh, they hurt me, they hurt me, they hurt me. Or you can see as an opportunity at that moment to be like the father who says, I'm going to show them true love. No strings attached, no conditions. I'm just going to love them. Some would say, well, I don't want to take that risk, especially with a cheating husband or an unfaithful wife or whatever. And I'm not telling you to be walked on. This father loved his son, but I'm not saying that he was abused by his son physically. All those things. Where that's a whole different story. But sometimes when we talk about this kind of love, people get concerned. If God loves that way, what about the fear of the Lord? What about fearing the Lord? Isn't that the beginning of knowledge? It is. But don't just read one verse in the Bible. Read the whole Bible because 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, perfect love casts out fear. The reality is I might get to know him first by fear, but when I come to know him fully, I know him through love. 
He chose to reveal himself as this kind of a loving father. Somebody would say, well, what about sin? Does sin no longer matter if he loves us? Am I, am I uh, uh, you know, free to sin or whatever? And, and the answer is given to us, we're, we're not sinners anymore. We're sons. We're daughters of the Father. The Bible calls us saints. You might go, well, I'm still a sinner. I know the Lord, but I'm still a sinner. I still sin. You know what? You might sin, but that's not your identity. The reality is that God calls you a saint. You see, that son, we don't, we don't hear the end of that story. Maybe the son still messed up once in a while after he returned to his father's house. But what was important when he returned to the father's house is for the father to communicate to him, you by nature are my son. It's not about you being a rebellious sinner, not about you being a notorious sinner. It's about you being a son. And that's what the word of God says to us. First John chapter two, verse one says, these things are written to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with a father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Some people say, well, if I tell people about how much God loves them unconditionally, won't they feel free to go on being a sinner? And the answer is given to us in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. We are dead to sin. How can we any longer live in sin if we're no longer, um, in, you know, just that, that's, our, that's our identity. But some would say, but I still think, won't this kind of grace encourage people to sin and, and tell them it doesn't matter if they offend God. And Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12 says, it's the grace of God that has been revealed to us and it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions while we await the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes people are saying, I need the law, the law, and more law. I need the rules, I need to be told what not to do, and I need to measure up to that. And they miss the whole point of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not the law of God, it's the love of God that makes you who you cannot become on your own, that gives you eternal life, that transforms your earthly life. It's the love of God. So how does this work? It's just like it works with an earthly relationship. Somebody looked at me one day after I started to preach, and they said, you know what? You stand like your father. You wave your hands like your father. You're bow-legged like your father. You make the same, how did I become like him? It's because I have my father's nature, but I also spent time with my father. And the reality is, is if Jesus comes in your life, you have your heavenly father's nature, and the more time you spend with him, the more you will be like him. Can you say amen? It's the more you are with the father, in the father's presence, the more you know, the more you experience his love, the more you will want to say no to the counterfeits, whether the counterfeits are music or movies or illicit sexual relationships or anger or jealousy or whatever the sin is. God doesn't condone sin. He doesn't like sin. He, he, he hates sin, all of that. But it's not because he hates you. He hates sin because sin keeps you from you. So take sin seriously, but then don't take sin seriously. Take sin seriously and that you know you've got to be free from sin. But once you come to know the love of God, don't focus so much on sin. Focus on what Jesus has done for you because of his great love. Just get wrapped up in his love. And the more you get wrapped up in his love, the more that you will be, you will be released from all of that stuff. Somebody says, well, that's not just. That's not fair. There's no dignity. There's no respect in that. There's no honor for that. All of those things. And the reality is, is that even though the Bible is where we have these concepts of respect and justice, all of that comes from the Bible. God doesn't 
just care about fairness and justice. It is the mercy of God that triumphs over judgment. You see, God wants us to know right from wrong, but he doesn't want us to focus on just knowing right from wrong. He wants us to focus on knowing him. Can you say amen? Amen. (laughs) So how do you relate to God? Do you relate to him in a shameful way? Are you ashamed of him? Or are you ashamed of yourself? Are you distant because of your own sin or because of your lack of trust in his love, your confidence, all of those things? I just want you to think about that. We're going to watch a video, and uh, I want to set it up. It's from a great movie. It's on Netflix. You can go there. It's called Heart of Man. And we're going to watch a video of a father's love for his son, and the son is messed up, just like the son in this story. He's been broken and bloodied by his own sin and the response of the world to him, just like this son. And the father loves him. We're going to pick up where the father pulls out a violin, but you need to know if you haven't seen the movie before, and some of you have. If you haven't seen the movie before, you need to know that there was a special relationship this father and son had from the earliest time of this son's life. And they walked together and they sat at the table together with everyone and fellowship together and ate food together. But between the two of them, they had a special experience with a violin. The father made a violin for his son and gave it to him. And they would sit for hours and play this violin together. And it was such an intimate moment between father and son. But then son, through no fault of his father's whatsoever, a loving, loving father, he got his eyes on the distant country and said, I don't know what's out there. I'm going to go find it. And he took that, that violin that his, his father had crafted for him and given to him and just crushed it over the cliff, just threw it down, and, and it was gone. And when the, when the son was coming to his senses like this prodigal son, the father is there just running to him. And I want you to see this, and then after that, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to respond in another way. But let's go ahead and see this uh, clip together.
leads out of seeking it in other people. Because I think until we tap in to God's opinion, and it's an absolute opinion, it's an opinion that has authority and holds weight in eternity. When we tap into that, we tap into one that says us. How many of you that have never seen the movie before are interested to see it now? <laughs> I encourage you to see it and let it impact your life with the love of God. You know, this son asked for mercy and he got grace. And God wants to give you more than you've asked for. And it's just because of his love for you. I just want to encourage any of you that say, you know what? I'm new to this. And I either want to start a relationship with God today like I've never had before. Or I want to grow in, more in the relationship that I've recently started. Whatever. If you're new in your relationship with God, we want to make sure before you leave today that you take this book with you. It's called What's Next for You and God. It's at the Hospitality Center in the back on your way out. If you need to make yourself a little note right now, just write a little piece of paper. Just don't forget on your way out because we hang out and fellowship and things. But we want to make sure that you get that on your way out. I want to do something um, that I want to close the service. We try and close as close to 1230 as we can. Um, by the way, if you're new to Embassy Church, we start at 1030 in a way that most churches never start. And we, we never did this before, but we tried something new and it was awesome. We start with what we call church family time. And we just come 1030 and connect with each other. And then we start worship at 11 and go kind of from 11 to 1230 with our worship and our message and all that. But I just want to, if you haven't experienced church family time, just feel free to be here at 1030 the next time. And, and uh, we want to do that. But I want to do, I want you to do, if you, if you have time, we'll, we'll close the service. But if you have time, I want to give you an opportunity to get with two other people. So there will be groups of three. And on the back of your notes um, that you have there, there's two things that you can do. And one is to say a prayer. And it's the prayers of Paul, the Apostle Paul, from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. And I want you to go ahead and just select somebody in that group of three to pray this prayer over the rest of you. It's a prayer to know the love of God. All right? So you can pray. And that person should be on their knees because it starts off by saying, I kneel before the Father. So pick somebody that has no problem getting on their knees or whatever and, 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 and pray. And then you can pray this prayer over each other. And then I want to give you the opportunity to, to do two questions that you can do. And I want to read them before you, we break. One is, are you coming to know the love of God who has compassion for you, runs to you, embraces you, kisses you, forgives you, restores you? And you have three options. You can pick another one if there's another one more fit. Um, but it's yes, no, or not sure. And I just want to give you the opportunity to, uh, to just express that to one another. And then if you can end in prayer. But the second question is, how are you coming to know God's infinite love for you? So there's two questions. Are you coming to know the love of God for you? And then how are you coming to know the love of God for you? We want to, we want to give you the opportunity to, if you have to like say, look, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean any disrespect. Done taken, all right? If you have to leave, you can leave. But I want to give you the opportunity to just get with three people. We always hang out in fellowship. This can be the beginning of your fellowship time. Uh, one of you pray, and then the three of you uh, could answer these uh, two questions. I, I want to say one last thing for instructions.
Some of us are more loquacious than others are, okay? Some of us love to talk more than others do. So we want to encourage those who are shy to talk and encourage those who are not shy to talk less, all right? And, and just because some, sometimes, you know, I, I'm in a small group and I wanted to share something and that person just talked for like 15 minutes. So I want you to take like 30 seconds, a minute, each one to share. These are not really elaborate questions. You could either say yes, no, that takes what, just a few seconds maybe. And then how, that might take 30 seconds, a minute. Then you can pray for each other, okay? So those two things, I just want to give you that encouragement. So amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you um, for your love. I thank you for communion today. And that scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There's no greater gift that you could give to us than your own son. And we thank you that even after that, you didn't stop giving. That after you gave us your son, you gave us your spirit and put your spirit within us. I pray, Lord, for those of us who have already started this journey of faith and following Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, but it's not just historical. It's present and future, the work that you're doing in our lives. So deepen this love. Let us know your love more. Reveal to us and let us live it. Let it transform our lives. But we also pray for our dear friends who are either just newly starting a relationship or even right now deciding to begin that beautiful relationship with you. Father, I pray that people would have freedom today to pray and say, God, I need you. I want you in my life and all of those things. And just to be able to give you that opportunity to just run to them and show them your love and forgiveness and, and your desire to be in relationship. And so, Father, whether we've been at this uh, journey for a while or just starting out um, today, Father, bless everyone's journey here. And Lord, whatever their journey is, make it so, uh, so joyful that others would join in the celebration. Other family members, other friends, other people that work with us in our office, in our embassies, in our universities, wherever we are, Father. We pray that our relationship with you would be so genuine and so peaceful and kind and loving and all of those things, Father, that people would, would, would want to join the celebration with us. We thank you, Lord, that we're here from all these different nations and cultures, God. Lord, all these things that sometimes separate us, God, but you brought us together by your love. We ask, Lord, that we would not just be a vertical experience, but that we would have it be a horizontal experience, that as we receive your love, we would love one another, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right, feel free to uh, stand up. You can greet one another, and uh, if you want to be dismissed, you can do that. But we encourage you, while the music is playing in worship, if you can, get in a group of three, uh, do the prayer and these couple of questions, and then you can continue to fellowship afterwards. God bless you.